I'm coming live from the Music Garage Chicago. So they're listening to Six Wings Fried Hard. What is this podcast about? This podcast is about two rude boys from Chicago that are still exploring their friendship through music and current events. Well, I'm at the Music Garage. I'm live from the Music Garage. Yeah, we should mention that. That is kind of a cool fact. Yes. Yes, we come live from the Music Garage, one half of us every week. Music Garage Chicago, the best practice space in Chicago. Mm -hmm. If you have a band looking for a place to practice, bring them to the Music Garage. You will be impressed with the rooms here. I, I, I like it here. Can they enter coupon code Haas at checkout or anything? There's nowhere to enter it. Just go to the front desk and tell them Haas sent you. No, I'm just joking. That's not going to do anything for you. Fuck it. The price might end up going up because they're trying to cover the spread. It for sure won't do anything for them. Don't tell them Haas sent you. <laughs> you might be best just describing me the best way you can. Did I ever tell you that I had practiced at that same location? But when it was, like, a shady place at the time. Like, I'm pretty sure every other room was either a practice room or, like, something with drugs. It's not like that today. Have you seen the practice space that we were at before this one? I think so, but I can't remember. Maybe not. I'm just not sure if you think that this one is that one. Because it's really close to it. Maybe, but I'm pretty sure it was that building I used to go to back in the day. Anyway, whoever cleaned it up, I think they did a great job. The Music Garage is a pretty dope location. And I also like that on our first episode, you couldn't necessarily tell who the band was or anything, but there was a hint of some background music on your end, and I think it added some flavor. Oh, that's cool. I should force that next time. Do you want to know what band it was? Maybe. How would you know? Because I know what was playing in here. If we say what band it was, do we have to play pay them? <laughs> no, I first of all, I don't think it works that way. But I meant not like you were playing something, but like one of your neighbors. Oh, I see what you're saying. No, no, no. Yeah, I wouldn't know what it is. That's what I thought. Like, I never knew who the neighbors were when I was in practice spaces. I thought maybe you were just friendlier than me. No. No, we might have picked up one of the neighbors, but... That's going to happen sometimes here. You know, comedians get worried about other comedians stealing their jokes and stuff. But bands never get, like think that the CIA is going to rent a private practice space next to them and like, learn their songs. I'm not trying to disrespect comedians, but I feel like it's harder to mimic a band's good song than it is to mimic a comedian. Like, if you two guys, if you can figure out a good enough delivery in your own way of the same person's joke, I feel like you're going to find a path to that easier than like, oh, I'm going to steal this <clears throat> band's material. Because one thing to being able to steal the material is you got to have the same makeup for that to like work all of, like unless it's just some catchy like mm -hmm. song that's going to work no matter what. You know what I mean? Like, so like, let's say you mimicking a three piece, but you a sky band next door. So now you got to add horns too. It's like, well... That's not always the easiest thing to do. It might be a way mm -hmm. the song might not lend to having room for horns. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, that's sort of possible. And then what about the other way? It's like, oh, this is a good song that we just heard the Sky Band do. Those lyrics sound powerful. I like the chords. And it's like, but you're going to try to do the song and now it got all of these openings because you don't have horns in it anymore? 
It's like you're gonna have to redo it, and it's probably not gonna end up the same way. So, yeah, it's possible to steal, but like I feel like everybody is different enough. Where it's like if you try to steal something original, somebody else's, if they're doing it right, you're not gonna be able to make it better. Yeah, you make an excellent point. Yeah, like most covers aren't better than the original, so which always kind of like makes me frustrated. I'm always like, why are people doing that? I mean, I guess sometimes. A thing I've learned as I've gotten older is like there is a time and a place where just in the right bar or the right venue or whatever, it's like, yeah, you just need something everybody knows real quick. And that's there's a value in that, having something like that in your set. I always felt like if you're going to cover something, especially being a ska band, you have got to take it to a new level or an interesting level. There's just too many golden, and you got to look to Real Big Fish for a lot of this, like just tremendous covers those guys pulled off. And not just them, all up and down the big and small names of Ska. Every, like, classic, there's so many classic Ska covers. And so the bar is high. If you're going to cover a song, it's not just like learn the chords and play it. It's how do we kind of reinvent this. Yeah, that is a good way to look at it. Everybody isn't exactly reinventing um, when it comes to Sky, without it needing to be interesting. But I do see what you mean. Do you know the MU330 cover of Vacation? No, actually. I want to hear that. It's really good. It, Jason Nelson is uh, still in the band at that point. So it's like pre-Crab Rangoon, but like more Chumps on Parade era of MU. It's a really good cover. Look up Everybody listening should look up Vacation by MU330. But Run and Punch plays some covers. How do you guys pick what you want to do? Usually that's a decision that I end up getting to make a lot of the time because I write the set. What covers is, I don't know. Like, that's also a me thing a fair amount of time early on. Curtis will come up with stuff sometimes. But lately with the groups, like, the more confident we are in whatever the group is, then maybe we will, like, ask for suggestions. And luckily for us, we are in one of those runs right now. So even now, like, we'll kind of leave it open to the room, but that's not nothing that um, gets brought up too often anyway. Like, every now and then people will be like, yeah, let's do this cover. <laughs> but, like, still to this day, for the most part, it is, like, stuff that I've wanted to do. We covered Big D a couple of years ago for Halloween, and that was really awesome. A lot of fun to do. We did it at uh, Brow House in Lombard, a few Lombard in Illinois, a few years ago, and people really did enjoy it. We enjoyed it too. Shout outs to Big D, um, Running Punch's favorite band as a group for sure, favorite Scott band. But no, yeah, like it has been a a, a me thing. But also, the, whatever we do that night or show nights are also usually a decision decision I make. Sometimes, and it's the singer Running Punch. Me and her write the sets a lot of the times lately. So, like, if she has suggestions, you know, 100% they'll make it in. Like, sometimes we'll talk it out. If it's a, let's let's say it's a 45-minute set, we might do a cover. It'll probably be one. Um, Running Punch also plays a lot of um, restaurants and, you know, like, longer types of events in the Midwest area. In case anybody out there is interested, mm -hmm. you know, hit us up. You playing maskless but shows now? When we do longer sets, then... <laughs> no, 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 no. Not right now, yeah. It, it, during the COVID times, no, yeah, we aren't doing any at all. But, you know, when the world is open, um, we move around a fair amount. And when we do those longer sets, like if we do a two-hour set somewhere, like, um, yeah, it's going to be like four or five. 
covers at least probably partially because you plan that long or if you plan a festival outside somewhere where people might not be that familiar with you it does help to throw a cover in every four or five songs so like even if they enjoy you like if you plan a cover popular enough it'll be something that they could sing along to and they'll appreciate it. And also from what it seems like to me, they'll stand there in front of you a little longer if you give them something every few minutes that they probably know. Because like before they walk away, it'd be something else like, oh yeah, I know these words, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's something to think about. Like for any bands out there, like whenever you plan some of those longer sets, it's like, yeah, play your best stuff. Make sure people like it. You know, do it for yourself too, obviously. Kind of play songs that you enjoy. But if you out there trying to, like, build a fan base, like, that's part of what I do. Like, okay, even from that standpoint, as far as, like, what covers we're going to play. I don't love every cover we play all the time. But if I've seen that the crowd responds to it well, it don't have to be about me picking it. And even if I picked it, it don't matter if I'm tired of it. We playing it again tonight if this venue seems like the right place to play it. Yep. You know, because it's, like, it's just about giving people the, like, best experience you can, like, even, like, you know, you've been in bands over the years, like, you don't love every song that every band that you have ever been in does. True. But, like, especially if you could tell the crowd reacts to it dope, you're going to play that song. You know, it's like, yep. it's like you should. You didn't respond to my text when I told you that Sweet Georgia Brown has now entered the public domain. I did. I said, should we write a Scar cover? Oh, I thought that was... You responded I, to I'm me. I'm sorry, man. Unless that was somebody else. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Just the time change. I saw it a different day and I got confused. Yeah. You know what? I went out looking for covers of it. There's like a decent Louis Armstrong one and then like not very much else. It's interesting how well known that song is and recognizable. And at least on YouTube, there weren't all that many great covers. Sweet Georgia Brown. So there aren't any Scott covers yet, right? Not. To, there's got to be something somewhere, but not to the best of my knowledge. No. Speaking of Big D, did you hear, or I'm, I'm pretty sure you did. I'm going to let you know this is out there. Sean P. Rogan has a podcast, and recently he has Steve Foot on. I think you would like the episode. Oh, I would like that. Just quick question. Which Sweet Georgia Brown version do you respect? Like who's the canonical? A lot of people have done it. The count. I think the like the one that I know is like a Count Basie version is the best one. But like I said, there was a good Louis Armstrong one I saw too. This is insane. You know, I actually don't know as much about Count Basie as I wish I did. He might be one of the few people from like the older times that kind of slipped through my fingers a little bit. Ella Fitzgerald. It popped up a version of her. And what I've learned in my life is if Ella Fitzgerald has a version, it's the best. But I see, I don't know if this, so there's a version that just says Count Basie. Okay, there's a Sweet Georgia Brown live. It says Ella Fitzgerald and Count Basie. So I'm pretty sure he's a part of that recording. Yeah, it's kind of the best of both worlds. It's like, you know, you like him and like, I always think her version is the best of everything because... Ella Fitzgerald, I'm telling you, like, her version of Mac the Knife, I don't care what nobody say, it's the best version. But, like, she's not going to get credit for that because she was a black woman when all of that was happening 70 years ago. And it's like, put a black woman against Frank Sinatra, right? You know, it's like, 
I, I, I'm, and I'm not even saying Sinatra is bad. I actually have appreciation for his voice right. too. I have a lot of appreciation for crooners in general. But Ella Fitzgerald is a monster. It's like he is. Sure. It ain't people really touching her like oh, that. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like it's singers nowadays wish they could do the stuff that she was doing. And then evil people who can do the things that she can do. The one thing that I take away from it after that is like, well, she created these things. You know, like she's one of the creators. When you're going back to people who did it to 50 to 100 years ago, a lot yeah. of the time, whatever sound they were doing, they created. And that's what frustrates me as a musician sometimes nowadays. It's like, yeah, every now and then, like, you like, oh, cool, I came up with something. It sounds original-ish. And, like, it's not just that it's, like, me and, like, running against a creative wall. It's the fact that these people created, like, that's what we mimic. You know, like, that's, like, like the greats. Is, and not that it's a bad thing either, you know, but it's, like, some people did things so great that it, like, set out a roadmap for the way things should be done, you know? So, it's like, and that's, that's just kind of what, at this point, we're all sort of sticking to, like, in, in a way. Yeah. Well, and on the flip side, sometimes there are things that uh, people don't appreciate that maybe you couldn't even possibly appreciate because you weren't there. Like, the classic thing people point to is the Beatles, right? Like, and everybody on some level has to pay some amount of respects to the Beatles. But I could also understand a person tape being like, oh, whatever, I just listened to this and it's fine, it's all right, it ain't that great. But you weren't there at the time when they were the first doing stuff like that. And so much has come since then that for someone who came in at the tail end of it, and you can say this about anything, even though I started with the Beatles, to be like, oh, they ain't shit because I've heard all this stuff since. It's like, yeah, you heard all that because of the earlier stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like you and yeah. I share much love and respect for the Shy Lights, right? Oh, yes, I love the Shy Lights. Those niggas crazy, but I love the Shy Lights. So much of what they did, even though there's only like, you know, five or six like big hits. If you really look at the whole catalog and listen to it, I feel like they really shaped a lot of this like 70s music in a certain way. But people don't appreciate them. They know Oh Girl and that, you know, but they don't really understand the impact of that band. They don't even know some of those licks that you hear in a lot of like Kanye songs and stuff get sampled out of the Shy Lights. Mm -hmm, yeah. No, yeah. Kanye for sure did a lot of old school stuff. The Shy Lights is one of the groups that like, I feel like they were two hit wonders, but like, and like part of the reason that we love them the way we love them is because we are from Chicago. I feel like the Shy Lights are exactly like Alkaline Trio in that way. And I've never thought about that until <laughs> now. But, like, you know how I told you before, it's like, I thought Echoline was a lot bigger. Like, and they big enough. People around the country know who they are. But, like, they're, like, a few tiers down from Blink. And, like, they came over around the same time. That's why I'm comparing them the same way. It's like, they're, like, a few tiers down. But, like, me as a Chicagoan and hearing them the way I did, it seemed from here like they were just as big as Blink. And I feel like a kid... And let's say whenever the Shy Lights came up, I'm not sure exactly when that song got big. 
But like, let's compare them to the Temptations. Like, let's pretend like them and the Temptations were chronological, like happened at the same time. If I was a Chicago kid, I would have thought they were the same size. You see what I mean? Is like because I I guarantee you, like, and I wasn't like born yet, but I guarantee you, Chicago for the shy lights was like Hollywood for them because they were all over the country on the radio making okay money and touring for a second. Cause like they had a couple uh-huh. of hits and like they did it. They toured for a long time. Let me not like downplay them. Great group. But like think about it. The Ohio players. Have you heard of them? Yeah. I don't know the catalog very well, but yeah. I but, lo- I I am interested in learning more. But the only reason is probably because they're not from here and it's probably the same deal as the Shylights. Now, I would say from the outside the Shylights probably got a little bigger than the Ohio players, but it's the same deal. It's like this being is huge from their spot. But and you do know they name, uh-huh. but like you just kind of know it. But that is because they a famous group from like forty years ago. But like yeah, they stick on my mask. Running Punch actually opened for them um, at the Merchant Street Music Fest a few years ago. Nice. Actually, Ohio players, I think they would be more compared to groups like Earth, Wind, and Fire. I'm pretty sure they do more of the like you know funk type stuff well we have sort of a thread into our album if you want to go that direction yeah we can sure fuck it all right let's start with the cover did you enjoy the cover on slapsticks anthology self-titled record so i did enjoy earth angel uh it was surprising it could have been a little better but it was good it could have been a little better but it was good like yeah i got the idea it was fine Back this up, I should say, I picked out uh, Slapstick. What you, you probably listened to the like green one with the star, right? I think they call it Anthology or Self-Titled. Yeah, it's really long. Um... Similar to our first album of the week with The Impossibles, Slapstick put out an album called Look It. I never, and I'm ashamed to admit this because I tried to accomplish this, I never got my hands on a legitimate copy of Look It. I only could get the Asian Man release. Because I don't think Asian Man released Look It. I think it, that was like Indie or Self or something like that. And then Asian Man picked that up and they glued on, just like The Impossibles, a couple extra tracks that were off a of 7-inch. The only thing that didn't make it onto that album is a track called Guy Smiley that's only available on the 7-inch I have, as far as I know. But other than that, that's like basically the complete discography of Slapstick. Yeah, so it's long. I, I could tell... I can tell they don't have a whole lot, even though that album is kind of long. I mean, it's it's a lot of songs, but the play is short because it's less than an hour. Honestly, I was kind of surprised, like, because I haven't listened to them in a while. I was kind of surprised that you're in, as into them as you are. Actually, depending on how into because you like Slapstick a fair amount, right? I love Slapstick. Their rhythm section kind of reminds me of Big D in a way. At least that album. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of their setups, not the singer, just the rhythm section, um, including the horns in a way. But like a lot of that bass player has some Steve Foot, or I guess Steve Foot has some in him. I wouldn't be surprised if Steve Foot was inspired by that bass player a little bit, um, because maybe I I like Steve Foot more. Like I don't know a lot about that guy yet, but yeah. I, like you know I love Steve Foot, but. That guy, like some of those setups, sound like kind of familiar. Like I said, it, it might not be for any reason at all. I mean, obviously, Steve Foot would have probably heard him before he ever did anything. 
and you won't necessarily still know that they had an influence on anything, but it's just like in a way, like I felt similarities between the way that they like uh, approached their bass player, but also a lot of parts of um the album also were like just so punk. Yeah, they're like. Even from like your writing, it's like you don't write like that. You know what I mean? Like you don't write anything like how punk slapstick is, and that don't necessarily mean you won't like that type of stuff. That just surprised me. So okay, um, here's the interesting thing. If anything, it's because I didn't know how to do that. I always wished I could have written a little bit more punk. Okay. Which is stupid because punk is the easiest thing to write. It's like three chords, just play it loud and fast and hard. But I came from such a classical background. I was like, well, you know, how do I write this out? What are the progressions going to be and all this? Like, I couldn't really, I could probably do a better job today, but I couldn't capture as punk of a sound as I always wanted to. I feel like we should have just had this conversation a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Because that's something that I always wanted to force in the judgmental sound. But I felt like you didn't want it. Not that I necessarily no. asked you if you ever wanted it. But you got to understand that, like, even though me and you clearly became really close friends at the time, it was still built on a lot of tension. And, like, like, <laughs> like it was just, like, sometimes... It wasn't a way to talk about certain shit sometimes. And, like, especially, like, despite wherever me or you were, it was just times where you felt, it felt like you were, like, intentionally trying to discipline everyone. So it's like... Well, yeah, I mean... (laughs) I don't know if we're going to unpack all this today. I mean, you know, I always uh, wanted to be in a very serious, dedicated band that was trying to get someplace, you know? And I should have respected more that people were like, ah, I'm just here to fuck around. And it was just fine. That's a, that is a perspective on it. Well, um, my perspective from that is you can still get where you want to be if you have a couple of fuck arounds. I get what you're saying. I, I, looking back, I do get what you mean, kind of. But, like... Sometimes you just move forward as aggressively as you can and you just leave those people behind. That's what I've sort sure. of learned we to did do that. and punch a little bit. Yeah, we did that too with <laughs> the judgmentals for sure. And did we we did get rolling pretty hard before we were done. Like we figured that out. Like it's just like you just go yeah. with it anyway. I never thought that that was the actual thing that it was. I just thought that you had a certain sound you wanted to accomplish personally. But now that I think about it, you listen to, a, a, especially from the Scott side, a pretty eclectic type of sound because they have a very no effect slash blink sound a lot of the time. And I was very sure. surprised. That not hard blink. Maybe no maybe no effects is a better comparison. But, but just sure. straight, they got this straight raw punk sound that even heavy hitting, yeah, even to today, a lot of these um, newer um, punk ska bands or these ska bands that don't want to say they ska bands anymore, them they sound a lot like slapstick. Cause like they'll still have a couple horns, but they're not identifying as ska bands anymore because they think it's gonna cost them money and gigs. 
Which it probably will. Maybe, yeah. And I guess that's something we should try to talk about one day. It does, dude. It's like the stigma of Sky needs to switch. And, like, I don't know how we Mm -hmm. go about doing that as, like, a community, but, like, it's not a bad thing to find a way to make the sound become mainstream. It's only a good thing to help that happen. My goal, you know how um, uh, Dan Aykroyd got real big into the blues, but not actually the blues, more like R&B, and then, like, the Blues Brothers came of that, and the House of Blues and all that was just kind of a passion project with him? I didn't know any of that. Oh, yeah, we could talk about Dan Aykroyd, too, because he's crazy. But I'm trying to do the same thing for Ska. Now, the only difference is just one slight change between me and him, besides he's Canadian, I'm American, is Didn't know that he's just been in, like, a couple of, like, really big movies compared to, like, I've been in, I mean, basically zero. Mm. But other than that, passion is there. I'm going to try and figure out a way to make Ska music you know, gain a level of prestige. Let's have venues where if you want to be a headlining band, you have to sport it. You have to show your checkers and bring the horn section out front. See, I, I feel like a lot of what you just said is taking us down the wrong path. Fuck the checkers. Um, horn section is optional. That's what I'm saying, man. If you like forcing people to come in there and be like, who do pick it up. And it's like all of this, not right. saying that that's wrong, I'm saying everything should be optional, just like the rest of life. Like, you shouldn't have to have this checklist to come in and enjoy Sky. Put it like that. Like, maybe somebody sure. will hear being from 95 that they love the sound, but they don't want to have to come in dressed a certain way to feel like they'll be able to enjoy the show or be able to scream the lyrics. You know, not that that's necessarily yeah. thing everywhere you go, because I don't think it is. But we do have certain shows or a certain... Areas of certain bands that could still be like that. If you come in screaming the lyrics and you just dress like a normal kid, they like, who the fuck are you? Like, where are your platforms and checkerboards and all of this? Well, that's the evolution of the art, and I think that's beautiful, and future artists will interpret it in their own ways, you know? Like, I don't know if you know much about comic books and whatnot, but did you know Superman didn't used to be able to fly? And when you hear that expression, leap tall buildings in a single bound... That's because he didn't fly. He could just jump like a motherfucker. But at some point, they were like, just have this guy fly. It's just easier that way. And then after that, he just flew. I feel like it's more possible for a human to fly than jump a thousand feet in the air over a building. So I would go with that. But also, Superman been flying for a long time. Superman been flying since at least the 50s. Did you know they gave him a new power just a few years ago? And what is that? Um, it's like this. It's kind of dumb. It's something Jeff Johns came up with. He could supernova, but then it like wears him out. Like his battery's dead, and he has to recharge. But he could like supernova, like it's a big kind of explosiony kind of deal. I had no idea. Yeah, it's not even worth knowing. Mm-hmm. Who cares about Superman evolving? So you were commenting on the bass player. I want to double check that you know something. You realize that bass player, his name is Dan. Andriano plays in some other groups, right? Oh, shit. I actually didn't know that was him. So you know that's the Alkaline Trio guy, yeah? I actually had no idea. You're going to have to listen to it again. No one's a nah, yeah, man. I mean, you know I like him, period. Obviously, you know, Alkaline Trio is one of my favorites, but I should know that. Shame on me. So when I last saw Slapstick, which, by the way, was also when I last bumped into Dan Soman from Tusker, we were at the Asian Man, like, 
probably like twentieth anniversary show or something, and Slapstick played, and lead singer Brandon Kelly says something about how he is haunted by Slapstick. That this is the band that he's forever in the shadow of, despite all the other, quite frankly, very good work he has accomplished ever since. I like the Broadways. Yeah. Did you have a favorite track on Slapstick? I, honestly, I'm pretty sure it was the first one, the metal one. There's a metalhead in the parking lot? Yeah. Other than the cover. Because it's like, I actually did like that a lot. It's a good opener. After that, and this isn't a dig in any way either. In a way, a lot of the tracks mimic each other a lot. Um, which is good for consistent consistency of an album. But with that said, I think I like the first track the most. One thing I noticed about this album period is like even from that like oh i noticed like a big d type sound under them i would say it's like a big d type of sound with hits like they got a lot of hits going in this album like not hits as in like oh this is a good song it's a hit it's great as in like you know like hits, like musical hits yeah. like full band hits that they uh hit together they do a lot of that i mean it works for them you know like i could see this like being an album that like people like can kind of put on when you're trying to like get that bright, charged up, happy feeling of sky, but it's also not like the gumball sky, you know, like the stuff that's like really mm-hmm. cheery, goofy stuff. It's like, like you said, like it's hard hitting, but it still give you that like good sky feel. Cause I think that's one of the best things about sky, like especially when it's done the right way. It's like, you know, it's this bright feel. As soon as you hear it, like it can make you light up. Even if it's like a kind of depressing song, you know, like that's the good thing about Sky. That's interesting you say that because to me, this is actually a very emotional album. There's a lot of tracks that are like tugging at your heartstrings and all that kind of stuff. Well, no, that's what I mean is like that's what can happen with Sky. And even with this album, sure, like I know you deepen with it lyrically than I am. Oh, I could recite this. E- either way, even with you being deeper with it lyrically, is like from my perspective, it's still bright. I'm talking about musically. It's like the horns, like yeah. the progressions, they sound bright. They sound happy. You have to delve deeper into the lyrics to realize it's like, oh, this is a kind of like sad song. And like that is something that's like also like a extremely, and I guess Scott does that a fair amount. But that's a pop-punk thing. That's a Blink-182 thing, you know, where it's, like, bright music, yeah. uh, kind of tragic song. And, like, that's also a me thing. I like doing stuff like that. I do with my own music. It's, like, the brighter the sound, the more tragic the lyrics probably are. <laughs> now let's talk about the, like, timbre of this album. I really feel like if you tried to record these guys today, it would not sound as good. Does that make any sense? Well, let's first start with, are they all alive? Because it starts yeah, with that. Yeah, for sure. Second, how well do their fingers work? No, I'm just joking. So, like, <laughs> two ways to look, like, look at that. Because I never thought about it this way either. Do you think a band that you like can record the same album just as good 25 years later? Because I would say no. That's just a random thought. And that's, like, everybody. Like, let's say, like, okay, uh... Anybody you like, oh, uh, Slapstick. This came out in 1997. Do you think those dudes in 2021 could even do the same album, exactly the same, and do it as good? Because I don't think so. So they were great on stage when they did it in like, that was like two or three years ago, 
I have no complaints. No, the no. trumpet player changed a few parts, but other than that, it was faithful. Faithful, but still, it's like it's something about it. I feel like when people are coming up, you get a little more passion out of it sometimes. And then not even saying that they won't still give you that. It's just like sometimes you're going to get something more out of like a 20-year-old than a 40-year-old. Yeah. And then even from that standpoint, okay, now that you're 40, not saying you don't have passion, but I want to hear what you write now. That's what I'm saying. So it's like, you know, like whatever you write over your next few years, I feel like it's going to have more come out of it than if you tried to make a song you wrote at 25 sound passionate. You see what I'm saying? Right. Like, just from that standpoint. Yeah. Like, like, yes, that song's still fine. Yes, you might still do it really well. But, like, um, especially, like, it, it doesn't it resonate. Lot, exactly. It could just be so much behind it. Um, so, like, that's all I'm saying. Like, it's just a totally different type. What was the original question anyway? Because I kind of. <laughs> mutated that if you could still record this today because part of my contention was that and i will compare you know let's bring big d into this too shot by lamy or lamy or whatever um the first album the split with drexel that album has a rough sound to it in the same regard where i was like oh it, it wouldn't like if you put them in a modern studio, you wouldn't get something. And I actually think you might get something worse in both of those cases. That part of the artistry of this is the way it like there's something a little low fidelity about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, people like the way some of this stuff sounds sometimes, and also sometimes when certain things sound too clean, it exposes the wrong things. Yeah. So, like, I could see that in a way, like, some of those albums just being good the way they are. It's a lot of stuff where I don't want it to sound cleaner. And, like, sometimes stuff just is good the way it is. Like, those bands are old enough where, like, they were doing it a certain way at that time. And it's like, we ain't never going to get bands to sound like that anymore. We're not recording on the same type of stuff anymore and never will. Yeah. Even if it's just this certain old computer or old program or these old mics like, just that combination of that type of stuff. Yeah, it might be the same mics, but now everybody is, like, doing it on this, like, computer at least from the last 10 years, you know. It's like, it's not like this yep. 1997 whatever basement studio. You remember those studios we would try to go record in uh, in the early <laughs> yeah. 2000s? It was like, it was dope to be able to see what people were be able to create. But honestly, you could get... You could spend five hundred dollars on a laptop and download the right um, program right now, and probably get just as good a quality as we did in the basement studios we were going to in the early two thousands. Not knocking them, but man, technology just kind of helped with stuff like that. And obviously, not even saying that like our novice doing it at home is better than a good version of a. Uh, 90 studio band you know what i mean but like yeah earl like yeah. yeah you know what i'm saying it's like i i know what you're saying with as far as like the like raw sounding oh we still coming up um big d sound it's like yeah you like you might not want that to be like done clean in the you know in the studio with like more expensive instruments and the sound that exposes every single thing in the room and there's something about doing a thing under a constraint, right? Like, you're always constrained by a budget. Even if you're making a movie, even if the budget's big, like, there's a limit. 
if you put too many constraints on something, you might ruin it, or maybe you force it to be great in really interesting ways. And to give people a, a time constraint, for sure, because, like, I don't know if you know this, but both Shot by Lamy, I don't know nothing about the recording for Slapstick, but also Good Luck, uh, both those albums were cut in, like, like, eight hours or nine hours or something crazy, like, one long day. And I think part of just being forcing people, like, we got one shot at this or whatever, brings out a level of creativity sometimes. And also then, what do you make out of that at the back end of it? You got the recording, you got to do something with it, so be real clever in the editing room. I got a little lost within that, so I don't necessarily have a response. <laughs> but Fair I kind of feel what you said. <laughs> Do you have any history with slapstick? Did you listen to this in high school or anything? So that's the thing with like a few of like Scott Benz. Like I feel like no, like yes, but I didn't lock into him, and in a way, I'm surprised mm -hmm. I didn't. But I also feel the same. Like correct me if I'm wrong, but are they kind of similar to um, the River City Rebels? I don't know that band well enough to say, but that would surprise me a little bit. We should put them on for next week. All right. Since neither one of us are familiar enough. Three of the five most popular songs is on the 2001 album. So how about we do that one? That's the second album. So wait, was Pedito deep into River City Rebels? It's not that he was so deep into them, but the song Sky Pants mentions them. It's a line where he says, Lester Jake, Mustard Plug, and River City, to name a few. Yeah. That rings a bell. I'm actually surprised you haven't listened to them now that I'm listening to them. <laughs> well, I'll give you some feedback because I honestly never gave them a shot. I like, That's I heard them crazy. enough that it didn't click with me, it's, but they just didn't come up enough. It's That's crazy, though, because I know they're not huge, but they were big enough. They had a moment. All right, man, well, I'm looking forward to checking this out then. I literally don't have much opinions about them so we'll come back at it yeah this is a good one thanks for tuning in to six wings fried hard our theme song is new orleans funeral by run and punch 